Our speaker this weekend has been to Northridge before to communicate, and I have a real heart for him. He's, he's been a pastor in a local church setting for 20 years, and he was at North Point Community Church down in Atlanta, part of this internationally impacting ministry as a teaching pastor. But then he decided to strike off and be the lead pastor of a church that needed to transition. And if you've been a part of Northridge for any amount of time, you know I just absolutely have a passion for transition leaders. This guy's a great guy, gave up a lot to do it, and God's using him to make a huge difference. And I think the same thing's gonna happen this weekend. He's gonna make a huge difference in our lives. And, and I have to tell you, he, he's a spiritual guy. He really is, I believe, anointed. I believe you're really going to be spiritually impacted, but more than anything, I think you're gonna love his accent. This guy was born and raised in South Africa. What's not to like about that? Would you give a warm welcome to Justin Grunewald? Thank you uh, so, so much. Um, it's honestly such a privilege to be back here to uh, be part of what's happening here over the weekend. Uh, you guys are a bunch of really good people. Every single person I've interacted with is just so kind and generous and wonderful. And no wonder you guys are having an impact in this community because what's not to like about nice people? <laughs> it's really cool. So thank you for having me be here and uh, for letting me come and share another crazy, unforgettable lesson and idea and truth that's been changing my life. So just, just really grateful. So thank Thank you. Um, I, I do just want to come right off the bat and say there's a problem with the lesson that I want to share with you today. Uh, it's actually three problems um, and kind of, you know, I want to share something important with you and I think it's really, really important, but there's three problems. The one problem is this, I'm still learning it. <laughs> so I'm not getting up here going, I've learned this, I've mastered this, and so you guys should learn it too. No, 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 no. This is something that I'm still currently learning and it's rocking my world and the more I lean into it, I find the better I am, uh, the more I lean into it, the better of a husband I am. My wife likes me more when I lean into this. It's kind of cool. Um, the more I lean into this, the better father I am, the better leader I am, the better person I am, the better Christian I am. The less I lean into this, and there's many times when I don't lean into this because of the second problem with this thing, and that's that we don't like this lesson. I don't like this lesson. There's something in us that wants to keep from learning this lesson because we want to protect ourselves against this lesson, as you'll see when we get into it. But the less I lean into this, um, I am not the person I want to be. So I just want to say right off the bat, I'm still learning, um, and it's something that as I learn, and I, it's, it's something that is throughout Scripture, it's something that is a, a foundational idea in Christianity and in a relationship with God and in faith. So it's something that, that is just all over but I'm still learning it. Like I said, the second thing is, nobody wants to learn this lesson. It's awful. <laughs> right off the bat, sorry. <laughs> Welcome to Unforgettable. Um, no, it's, it's, it's a lesson that we don't wanna learn because everything in us wants to protect ourselves against this thing. It's countercultural, it's counterintuitive, um, and we don't like it, so, so sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and then the, the third thing is this. It's also very personal. 
I don't know how you are going to live through this. And I live through this, and it catches me off guard every now and then because it comes back every now and then, and then I find myself in the middle of this lesson again, and I go, no, I'm there again. (laughs) But it's very personal to me, and it'll be very personal to you. So my hope today is just to share the idea of it, just to share the truth of it, to show you how solidly founded this is in Christianity and in Scripture. And then hopefully when you face this, You will have the knowledge of it, and then you won't just face it, you will embrace it, because if you embrace this, as we're gonna see today, it has the potential to set you up to be all that you were meant to be. If you don't just take this as theory, but actually embrace it and and accept it, I believe God can use this in your life and in mine to set you up to be all that you wanna be. Because the reality is I know that you wanna be a person. You wanna be the man or the woman that, that has an impact on those around you. You wanna be a man or a woman that, that leaves a legacy that's good. You wanna be someone that your kids are gonna one day say they weren't perfect, but man, I'm grateful that they were my parents. You wanna be that person that your neighbors are gonna look at and say, I'm so glad you're my neighbor because I'm a better person because of you. You wanna be that boss that your employees look at and go, you know what, I, I, I'm grateful I'm in this company because I'm better, because I'm here. You wanna be that kind of, nobody goes into life going, I can't wait to ruin this thing, (laughs) right? You're not planning that, I can't wait to destroy my marriage, yes! (laughs) I can't wait to ruin my kids, nobody's doing that. All of us want to be just who we're meant to be, and I think this lesson will truly set you up to do that, because this lesson literally goes against the thing that wants to sabotage your future and your meaning and your life. And that's what we're gonna look at. You ready? (laughs) I've talked about it a whole bunch. Let's talk, let's go, let's look at what this lesson is. I learned this lesson from one of the most famous influential people in ancient Israel. Um, It's a man by the name of David. And if you're new to Bible study or if you're new to church, you may not know exactly who he was. So let me quickly catch you up. David was the second king of Israel. First king was King Saul. And he had ups and downs and kind of started okay and then ended terribly. But David was the second king of Israel. David is the David from the famous David and Goliath story, you know, the same story that every coach has used in when they're gonna lose this game. David and Goliath comes out, Philadelphia Eagles against the Patriots, here we go. David destroyed Goliath! It was amazing! So it's that David, you know, that famous David. David was also the greatest and most famous king of Israel. So famous that even 3,000 years later after his reign, because he reigned around 1,000 B.C., 3,000 years after he reigned, his symbol is still emblazoned on the Israeli flag. You go to the UN building, you will see David there. Look at this. If you see the, the, the Israeli flag, there we go, that's David. It's pointing to David. That David, he had such an impact, left such a legacy, left, lived his life to the full, which is what we want to do, lived his life so well that 3,000 years later, people are still looking at David when they look at the Israeli flag. That's how beloved he was. He ruled for 40 years, and in his reign, Israel prospered more than any other time, except maybe for Solomon, his son, who who kind of extended the boundaries, boundaries of Israel just a little more. So David was awesome. David was the kind of guy that I look at and I go, I... I hope I can be a little like him. I hope I can maybe, in, in, in my life, in my calling, in my sphere, I wanna leave a legacy like David. He lived to the full of what he was gonna do. The cool thing about him, and this is so important for me because I know I'm not perfect and I know I mess up, but the cool thing about David is he wasn't perfect. He messed up royally a couple of times. 
just terribly. And yet, he kept coming back to this lesson that we're going to look at today. And because of that, even in his mistakes and his imperfection, he was able to overcome the stuff in him, which I believe all of us have, that tends to, to pull us away from what we are meant to be. And so, even though he messed up a bunch, he was known as a man after God's own heart, which is just cool. And I look at that and I go, there's hope for me. There's hope for me. Look, one more thing about David, and this is just fascinating to me. 3,000 years after he lived, we are still being inspired by him almost on a daily basis because David wrote most of the Psalms. So if you've ever read a Psalm and been encouraged by it, Psalm 23, been to a funeral and been uh, just helped and encouraged by, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's David's literal words that he wrote down on a piece of, not paper, because they didn't have paper, then maybe papyrus or whatever he wrote it on. He wrote this down and you and I are still reading it. What a legacy that this man left. And the reason I bring it up is because I want to do that. You want to do that. Maybe not be king of some country or Israel or whatever, but you want to leave a legacy. You want to live your life to the full. You want to be all that you can be, right? I do. And David was such a great example. A summary statement of David is this, that David was an incredible king who left an amazing legacy of leadership, humility, strength, example, and faith. And the thing that makes him stand out the most is because he did that in a context where that was not normal. Because, I don't know, think about this. If you think about any other ancient kings that you know of, and we usually know of other ancient kings because of Hollywood, right? Gladiator and you know, all those other ancient kings and, and emperors and Caesars, and usually what were those kings like? Awful. Right? They killed people because they, they, I don't like your face. I'm going to kill you. I mean, that's what these movies depict. You're going to you threaten me? I'm going to kill you. I want that land? I'm going to kill you. And eventually, if they broke the law, they said, I'm changing the law because I'm bigger than the law. And eventually, they became like God to people and they said, you have to worship me. All these ancient kings were just plain awful. And then you have David, who, who was amazing, humble man of character, servant, left this incredible legacy. How did he do that in that context? Well, maybe it's because he was the king of Israel, and Israel was like the first nation under God, right? They had the Ten Commandments, and they had God on their side, and God had called them to be a blessing to the nations and introduce God to them. Maybe that's why. No, actually not, because if you do a quick study of the other kings of Israel, they were just as awful as all the other ancient kings. It was terrible. So I want to quickly, as, as quick as I can, take you through a, a, a little study of some of the ancient kings of Israel. And I want to show you there's David who lived to the full potential like you and I want to do. And then there's these other kings who were set up just as well as David, had all the opportunity, all the possibility, all the potential, and they crashed and burned. And then I want to ask why. What made David different? Because if we can discover that, I think you and I can learn something that will set us up to live the life that we want to live. So let me take you on a quick uh, little history lesson of all these other kings. I'm, I'm taking this from one of the historical books in the Old Testament, actually. We've still got copies of this, but this was the history of Israel. The kings, one and two kings, and one and two chronicles kind of gives us a summary of these kings' reigns. And I want to show you how it went from 
bad to worse to worse to worse to worse. Started off with Abijah. It didn't start off, but this is the first one I want to mention. Abijah became king. He was the great-grandson of David. And he committed all the sins his father, Rehoboam, had done before him. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David, his forefather, had been. So immediately they're starting to compare to David. David was great. He was awesome. We love David. Great. I want to be like David. And then the other kings were not like David. But it continues, okay? Nadab came along, and he became king of Israel. He also did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the ways of his father, Jeroboam, I think, and committing the same sin his father had caused Israel to commit. So not only were they like sinning and messing up, they were now leading the nation into that as well. You're supposed to be the king of God's nation. Humble, you know, love people, serve people. No, these guys failed. But it continues, Basha comes along, and he became king of all Israel, and he reigned 24 years and did evil. Really? Come on, guys. <laughs> this is Israel. What are you doing? No, 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 it didn't help, because there was something in them that seemed to kind of tend towards this mass. Reigned 24 years, did it evil in the eyes of the Lord and following the ways of Jeroboam and committing the same sin Jeroboam had caused Israel to commit. And you think, okay, that's interesting, but it wasn't just three. It literally was almost all of them. And you're like, really? That's my faith heritage. <laughs> What's going on? Elah comes along, son of Basha, became king of Israel. Zimri, one of his officials, and now we get introduced to the soap opera of Israeli royalty of that time. It was crazy. One of his officials, who had command of half his chariots, plotted against him. Dun, dun, dun. And Elah was, it continues, Elah was in Terza at the time getting drunk. <laughs> king of Israel. Don't you like have the Ten Commandments? And isn't it like God on your side? So you're set up for success, right? Uh-huh. No, I'm just gonna do whatever I want. I'm getting drunk at the home of Oz and the palace administrator in Terza. So Zimri comes along. What an opportunity. Zimri came in, struck him down, killed him, then he became king. What? Is this how it worked? Yeah. This is why David was so different. Zimri's son, Omri, comes along, becomes king of Israel, but Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Look at the statement. And he sinned more than all those before him. So those guys were bad? Mm-mm, I can do better. <laughs> Wait for it, watch this. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the eyes of the Lord more than all that were before him. <laughs> so it just keeps getting bad. And over and over and over again, look at this. Ahaziah became king of Israel. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Joram became king, and, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Jehoash became king, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. It just keeps going. The last one I want to show you, it shows some detail and what the evil was. Because you wonder, you know, was it really that bad? Yes, it was. Manasseh, he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before Israel. And the, the reason I put that in there is because sometimes we wonder, why did you know, God say, don't mix with the people around there? Well, because they did detestable practices. Was, was it that bad? When you, if you were to know what those nations did and how poorly they valued life and how much they abused people, women, children, you would go, oh my gosh, that's awful. And Manasseh, one of the kings in the line of David, went with it. Look what it says. He erected altars to Baal, one of the local idols, and bowed down to all the story hosts, and he worshiped them. And this is the pinnacle of, of the evil. He sacrificed his own son in the fire. This king of Israel 
took his own child and burned him as a sacrifice to some idol. This is where it went. And he was the king of the same nation David was. He practiced divination, sought omens, consulted mediums and spiritists. And at last, he says, he did so much evil in the eyes of the Lord. Manasseh led them astray so that they did more evil than the Amorites who preceded them, the people who just didn't value life so much. It was just crazy. Um, and, and led Judah into sin. And the final thing it says is, moreover, Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that it filled Jerusalem from end to end. These guys were not good kings. These guys crashed and burned. They failed so much. They had the potential to live their full life. They had the potential to be all that they could be, and they didn't. Why? And then in that context, when these kings just lived these awful, awful lives as kings of Israel, why was David so different? How did David manage to live a life where we're still talking about him, we've put him on a flag, we're still reading his Psalms and still inspired by him going, I wish I was like David, what an amazing person. What was different? Well, I believe that David learned the lesson that we're talking about today and he embraced it. But the problem with this lesson, and this is where it's not fun, the problem with this lesson is that it can only, I believe, and according to scripture, I think it can only be learned in what one of my favorite authors calls the school of brokenness. That there are times, there are things that we can't learn unless we go through the school of brokenness. And I think the reason for that is this, that there is something, a quick study of the, the history of Israel shows there is something in us as humans that tends toward mess. There's something in me, I know, I know it's in me, I don't know you, but because I know me and because I've studied history, I think this is true of all humans. There's something in us that tends toward mass, and, and Christianity teaches this. Paul, one of the greatest writers of the New Testament, a person who met Jesus and wrote this letter to the Romans, describes it like this. He says, ah, oh, there's something in me, and the things that I want to do, I don't do them. And this is Paul, the apostle, this amazing person. He saw it in him. The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, those are the things I do. Oh, who will save me from this wretched man that I am? Really, what's going on? He saw that there's something in us that tends towards mass. But we don't need scripture to tell us that, do we? Just look at the history of the world. Look at world wars. <laughs> there's something in us that tends toward mass. Look at the abuse of power. Look at the abuse of, of wealth. Look at the abuse of people. Look at the mess that is around us. Look at literature. I mean, just two little examples. Lord of the Rings, any Lord of the Rings fans? Yeah, a few. Any people who hate Lord of the Rings? Anybody? A couple, there we go. I love Lord of the Rings, I'm sorry. But Lord of the Rings is so brilliant because the author, J.R.R. Tolkien, and the movies just depicts this thing in us as humans that tends toward mess. And when that ring of power comes into any human's hand, it just pulls out the gunk and the mess, and eventually a hobbit had to save the world. It's amazing. That, that's one illustration from literature. Another one, um, there's another book I read in high school. I was told I had to read this, otherwise I wouldn't have read it, but it was fascinating, called The Lord of the Flies. And in this book, there's a bunch of middle school boys who crash land on an island in the wartime, and they try to create some semblance of um, civility and civilization <laughs> and the author so brilliantly depicts this thing in us as humans 
It tends towards mess, and it gets to the place where it just devolves into chaos and greed and power struggles and mess. It's awful. It's awful. There's something in us that tends towards mess. And, and I don't know about you, but I know this about me. <laughs> I know that I struggle to live up to my own ideals. I, I think we all do. Remember that cake you said you wouldn't eat? Remember that? <laughs> Remember that time you said you were going to run? You were going to run, you were going to wake up early, and you were going to run. There's something in us <laughs> that tends towards mess. And the things we want to do, we don't do. Okay, let me get a little more personal. I'm sorry. And I know this is about me. I'm not pointing fingers. Remember that time you said you were not going to treat your wife that way again? Or you weren't going to speak to your kids that way again, and then you got angry again, and it just came out. I know this is true of me. And I know there's times where I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be selfless. I know it. But there's just something in us. And here's the thing. Those, that thing in us, we could talk about what it is and, and go into theology and the Bible and all that stuff. But I think it's depicted in two very simple but very important words or, or phrases at least. And that's this. Self-centeredness and self-reliance. The thing in us that I think is constantly trying to sabotage our future, who we want to be, our calling, if you want to put it in that way, is the self-centeredness and the self-reliance. I know it is for me. And I know for me, I am driven by these things. It is a natural part of who we are. And the kings of Israel, everything they did was for themselves. Self-centeredness is for me. Self-reliance is from me. And when I'm self-centered, I will use my power for my benefit. I will use my influence for my benefit, for my comfort. I will make my life easier at your expense because I want it. And that's what these kings did. And it de de derailed them. Self-reliance. These kings were so paranoid that they would lose power that anyone who was a threat, they would kill. And they would push it aside. They thought their wisdom was so good that they would go that way and they would rely on themselves so much that if they thought sacrificing my son to some idol is a good thing, they did it. Over and over again, self-reliance, self-centeredness. Self-reliance and self-centeredness. And self-reliance, you know, self-reliance could work. It could be a good solution to the problems around us. It could be a perfect solution if we were perfect. But none of us are perfect. And so whenever we rely on our wisdom and our ability and our thoughts and our insight and our experience and don't recognize that it's flawed, there will be cracks in the armor. There will be cracks in the foundation and we won't be able to get to where we need to go. So self-centeredness and self-reliance led these kings to failure over and over again. And this is where it gets a little personal and a little uncomfortable maybe, and hopefully not offensive because I'm honestly not talking to you, I'm talking to me. But the reality is I believe this is true and I think scripture teaches this. All of us are naturally self-centered and all of us are naturally self-reliant. I know that's true of me. I know that I see life through my eyes and I'm pretty sure you do too. I see life through my perspective. How does this affect me is the first question I ask every time. And I think that's true of you too. In my marriage, I want it to be where I'm happy, right? With my kids, they need to behave so that I can, you know, look good, right? That's, it's usually always from me first, for me first. Self-centeredness drives me. 
and I'm so self-reliant that when things don't go the right way, then I lose peace and I think it's all up to me and I think that my way is best and if my wife would just do it the way I say, then everything would be better, right? Problem is she thinks that too. <laughs> and I think we all do. We're so self-reliant and so self-centered. The problem with self-centeredness, though, is this, that self-centeredness always leads to broken relationships, broken communities, and broken nations, because relationships are about me being there for you and you being there for me, and when we're not, when I'm there for me, it's for me, and you're there for you, it breaks, and this is what happened to those kingdoms. It always broke. Selflessness. Selflessness leads to thriving relationships, thriving communities, and thriving nations. Self-centeredness always breaks things. <laughs> and here's the problem. All of us are driven by self-centeredness. Your life goes through your eyes and your ears and your brain and your insights and your comfort and your hopes and your dreams first. It is a self-centered existence that we have. And if that's what's driving us, it always leads to brokenness every single time. We're also naturally self-reliant. You know, we think that we can control our lives, relationships, marriages, relationships with God, even our eternity. I think I can. I think I can be good enough for God to go, Justin, you're so amazing. Wow, you deserve all of this. And then I forget because we think we can. We think we can do all this stuff, but, and this is a huge but, okay? But we struggle to acknowledge one of the most important things, and that's this, that we are flawed. And unless we're able to acknowledge we're flawed, we're gonna rely on ourselves always and we're gonna think it's gonna make the best life. But when we're building our lives on ourselves and our knowledge and our ability and our wisdom, there is always going to be cracks in that foundation. You know when the hardest time for me is uh, to acknowledge that I'm flawed <clears throat> is when I feel like I'm the most educated person or the most talented person or the most successful person. Because when you're educated, you're smarter than everybody else. When you're talented, you know, you're better than everybody else. When you're successful, you've done more than everybody else. And so everybody should listen to me. And that's when I begin to forget, oh my gosh, who am I without God? And relying on myself, especially when I'm educated, talented, successful, we forget the flaw. I think two of the most dangerous things are talent and success two of the most dangerous things we'll face because then our heads go <laughs> and begin to grow and that self-reliance comes back and that self-centeredness comes back. And this is exactly what the kings did and it destroyed the nation of Israel. It destroyed their own lives, it destroyed their families and it did things that we don't want to happen in our lives ever. And then you have David. <laughs> in the midst of all that, David comes along and, and I guarantee you he started self-centered and I guarantee you he started self-reliant. I guarantee it. And yet somehow he didn't destroy his legacy like every other king. How on earth did he do that? How did he, because I'm telling you, if I can learn that, if you can learn that, I think it'll set us up to, 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 to live our lives to all that we want to and all that God wants for us as well. How did he do that? How did David managed to navigate the self-centeredness and self-reliance that all the other kings got tripped up by. Once again, it was in the school of brokenness that David learned that. Let me give you a quick synopsis of his life and how David managed this. Because 
It's in three words, all starting with the letter C, the synopsis of David's life. When he was 14 years old, David was called to be king of Israel. The leading authority, spiritual authority of the nation came to him and said, David, you're going to be king. And usually in that context, as we saw, when somebody wants to be king, they go and get it. Self-reliance, self-centered, this is from me, I'm going to make it happen, this is for me, it's going to be good for me, and who cares about everybody else? Everybody who was called got that. You know, it's, it's, nowadays we've got this microwave, you know, society that if I want it, I'm going to put it in a microwave, I'm going to make it happen now. Do, 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 ding, everything's ready. This is what I want, this is how I want my life to look, this is where it's going to go, and I'm going to make it happen now and it's gonna be for me, and it's gonna be built on me and from me. And David started like that, he was called. But then the thing that was so different for David that, that all the other kings never experienced was that after David was called, he didn't become king immediately. He didn't go and get it immediately. He went through something for 16 years that none of the other kings went through. David was called, and then for 16 years, David was crushed. Who wants to do part two? <laughs> nobody, nobody wants that. It's confusing, it's difficult, it feels like God abandons you because David, he knew he was gonna be king and then the current king threw a spear at him, started tearing his reputation apart, chased him like a dog and David ran away, lived in other countries, lived in caves and was crushed for 16 years. What do I do when someone starts to rip into my you know, reputation? I try to prove. I try to say no. I try to say, uh-uh, that's not true. I try to, in my own self-reliance, fix the problem. David didn't do that. Do you know what David did? When, you know, when crushing happens in my life, do you know what happens to me? I go, God, where are you? This isn't the picture. It was supposed to be different. It was, supposed to, it was supposed to succeed. It was supposed to be different. Do you know what David did? Oh, this is so big. David didn't complain about that. Yes, there were times when he didn't. You can read in the Psalms, but he always came back to this. He said, God, what do you want to do in me in this crushing? When we're crushed, we go, where are you, God? When David was crushed, he said, God, what are you doing in me? And in that crushing, David had his self-reliance and his self-centeredness crushed out for 16 years. When we were crushed for two weeks, we are like, God has abandoned me. I hate this. And then when somebody crushes us in our life, someone who's self-centered and self-reliant and they do something to us that hurts us, what do we do? We show them. David ran. And he surrendered to God and trusted God when Saul was trying to kill him. And he said, God, what are you doing in me? And he allowed the crushing. He was called and he allowed the crushing to destroy the self-reliance and self-centeredness in him for 16 years. And then, and only then, was he capable of living the calling that God had called him to. All the other kings never got to be capable. You know why? Because they were called and they became king. David said, uh-uh. There's something in me that's trying to sabotage my calling, who I wanna be. And I'm gonna allow God to crush 
me so that I can be capable of being who I want to be. Do we want that? Let me show you what David said at the end of his life that showed he learned this and he lived this. These are the last words of David, the inspired utterance of David, the son of Jesse, and he's saying this. The utterance, and I love this, the utterance of the man, I'm just a man. There's nothing special about me. I'm not more than anybody else. I'm not smarter than anybody else. I'm not better than anybody else. I am just a man. But because I've relied on God, not me, the man exalted by the Most High. The reason I'm king, the reason I am where I am, the reason I've been released to do what I've been released to do is because God did it. Exalted by the Most High, the man anointed by the God of Jacob, the hero of Israel's songs. Why am I the hero of Israel's songs? Because God did something. I am fully surrendered to and fully reliant on God, not on me. I know who I am without Him, and I will never forget it because I am flawed, but with Him, things are different. When I am recognizing it's not from me, but it's from Him, I'm a better man, I'm a better leader, I'm a better person. It's from him, not from me, David said. He continues, he says, the spirit of the Lord spoke through me. It wasn't my words, it wasn't my wisdom, because that's flawed. But the spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke, the rock of Israel, the rock being the foundation. My life is not built on my brilliance and my awesomeness and my education and my ability and my talent. My life is built on him and who he has made me to be. And because of that, I can be David, the David that we're still reading about today. All the other kings relied on themselves, crashed and burned. David said, no, 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 the foundation is completely different. And then he showed that he wasn't self-centered either. He said this, when one rules over people in righteousness, everybody else ruled over people for their own rights and their own benefit. But when one rules over people in righteousness for their good, and when he rules in the fear of God, this is not for me, this is for others. This is not for me, this is for God. He is like, and I love this, he's like the light of a morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning, like the brightness after the rain that brings grass from the earth. If you want to live a life that's thriving, that's growing, that is all that it was meant to be, self-reliance, and self-centeredness cannot be part of the equation. Every time it's there, it destroys relationships, it destroys futures, it destroys legacy. And David found that out. Here's the summary. David was called, he was crushed, and then he was capable to be the David we know. All the other kings, they were called, they skipped the crushing, and they remained self-reliant and self-centered. And we know how that ended. So let me ask a question. Where are you? Where are we? Where am I? Are you willing to embrace this? And I don't know what it's gonna look like for you. Sometimes it's gonna be people who crush you and they're just selfish. But are you willing in that moment, is it right, is it fair? No, no, not at all. Are they doing the right thing? Absolutely not. Should they do it? No. Does God want that for you? No. But in that moment, 
Are you willing to say, God, in this brokenness, the school of brokenness, in this crushing, what are you doing in me and can you make me lose the self-righteousness and self-centeredness and become more like Jesus? Where do you fall? Now, because I wanna show you that this is throughout scripture, this is not just a David thing, this is a pattern in scripture. This is so many other people experience this calling, crushing, and then being capable. Without the crushing, they were not capable. Abraham experienced this. If you know the story of Abraham, he was called to be the father of many nations, to be the patriarch of Israel, and God gave him a promise that you will have a son, and he didn't have a son, and for 24 years, he didn't have a son. He was called, and 24 years later, nothing had happened. And he was crushed in that time. He tried to take it into his own hands and his self-reliance and he had another child and that just caused chaos and family tension and all this stuff. But eventually, 25 years later, he was, his self-centeredness and self-reliance was crushed out of him and then he had a son and became Abraham. Not only him, Joseph came along too. And when he was 17, he was given this dream that his brothers would bow down to him. And in his self-reliance and self-centeredness, he walked up to his brothers and he said, hey guys, you're gonna bow to me. If you were his brothers, what would you have done? Crushed him, <laughs> right? And they did. They threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery and crushed him. And for 13 years, I think it was, for 13 years, Joseph was in jail. He was a slave. He was lied about. He was mistreated. And in all of that time, you know what Joseph did? Not what I do. Because when I'm, that's happening, I'm going, God, where are you? God, what's happening? Why is this happening to me? Why me? Why do those people treat me this way? What's going on? No, Joseph. In those times, he said, God, what are you doing in me? Wow. And the self-centeredness and self-reliance was crushed out of him to where he became capable of leading and saving the entire nation of Israel. The last words he said to his brothers who threw him in a pit and hated him and treated him badly shows how he the self-centeredness and self-reliance was crushed out of him. Look what he said to his brothers when he saw him years later. You intended to harm me, crush me. You intended it to be crushing. But God, but God, but God. I rely on God, not on me. I rely on God, not on you. But God intended it for good. God, what are you doing in the crushing? And then look at how he wasn't self-centered. God brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Not for me, for God and for you. It wasn't from me, it was from him. And it wasn't for me, it was for him and for others. It wasn't just Joseph and, Mo and Abraham, it was Moses as well. Moses came along and he was called to save Israel from Egypt. And then when he was 40 years old, in his own self-reliance and self-centeredness, he went out and murdered an Egyptian man because he was mistreating an Israelite. And then he got in trouble with the law and he had to run away. And then for 40 years, for 40 years, Moses was crushed. Okay, wait, just to remember this, in your best South African accent, would you say 40 years with me? One, two, three. Now, there was a lot of 40. I need a 40, okay? I wanna try it again, one, two, three. There we go, that's pretty impressive. But listen, Moses, in his self-reliance and self-centeredness, he tried to do it in himself and it failed. And then for 40 years, he was crushed, crushed. And eventually, the self-reliance, self-centeredness was crushed out of him to the point where he's been known as the meekest and humblest man to ever live. And then he became Moses. 
like the Moses <laughs> who gave us the 10 commandments. Why? Because he was willing to walk through the crushing. Last example is Peter. Peter was a disciple, close friend of Jesus. And the thing about Peter that's so great is he watched Jesus walk through this as well. Peter watched Jesus who was called to be the Messiah of the world, Savior of the world, but he could not do that without being crushed on a cross to make him capable of saving the world. Jesus was called, crushed, and capable. And Peter watched. Arrogant, self-reliant, self-centered Peter watched this. And years later, he wrote a letter to Christians. And this is what he said to Christians and by implication says to you and to me. He said this, and the God of all grace who called you, he called you. He called you to something amazing. He called you to more. He called you to live the life that he wants you to live. Who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. He's called you after you have suffered or been crushed a little while. That God will himself restore you and make you strong. Another way to translate that from the Greek is that he himself will make you capable. God has called you. He wants you to be capable of living that out. But the only way is if we accept the crushing. Why is it crushing? Why, why can't it just be like learn a lesson, write it down and pray about it? because it's so embedded in our hearts as humans. Think about mining. If there's gold embedded in a rock, you can't say to the gold, hey gold, come on out. You're awesome. You can be gold. No, you have to take the rock and crush it. And don't you think God who sees gold in you is willing to crush the self-reliance and self-centeredness so that the gold in you can be released. That's what God wants. So let me ask you a question to close. Who are you called to be? What kind of a man? What kind of a woman? What kind of a husband? What kind of a father? What kind of a Christian? What kind of a leader? Who are you called to be, and then are you willing to embrace the crushing in order to be capable of fulfilling your calling? And I don't know what it's gonna look like, and sometimes it's gonna feel so unfair, but when it feels unfair, are you willing to say, God, what are you doing in me? Sometimes it's gonna feel like God has abandoned you, and when he has, are you willing to say, God, what are you doing in me? Sometimes it's gonna be your mistakes and my mistakes and are we willing to say, God, what are you doing in me? I'm willing to walk through the school of brokenness to be crushed so that I can be capable of living out the calling that I have. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for all these stories. Thank you for this principle. Thank you for this truth even though I don't wanna thank you because I don't like crushing, but thank you that the crushing is for a purpose to make us capable of living who you want us to live and living who we wanna be. So Father, I pray for the person in here who's right now walking through crushing, right now is feeling crushed. I pray that they will see your hand, your beautiful, loving, gracious hand drawing out the gold 
and crushing the self-centeredness and self-reliance. God, would you help us all walk in that? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being here. If you, if you want to take a next step in your faith, if you want to talk to somebody about this, we've got some people down front that can pray with you. Or if you just want to text Northridge, the word Northridge, to 313131, someone will follow up with you. But thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Searches